everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wire along with Kevin Haswell. Kevin, so much going on in sports right now. I don't even know where to begin. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, big day for my sports teams. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers traded uh, for Jason Pierre-Paul this morning, uh, trading a third and fourth round pick to the Giants. Uh, in that trade, they'll also receive a fourth round pick. So, you know, I think it's a great deal for them. Uh, taking on a huge cap hit with JPP, uh, big reason why the Giants got rid of him. Giants did it, you know, open up cap space for Landon Collins and OBJ next year uh, when they hit free agency. I could ramble on about that for days. Also, 76ers now in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. If they continue this, they would play the Indiana Pacers in the first round and would avoid both the Celtics and the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference semis. Really like where they're sitting right now. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid looking like superstars at an early age. Gotta love it. Trust the process. Let's start the show. Wizards are only a half game back, though, so we will see who emerges by the end of the year. Oh, the Wiz not playing well right now. We are getting John Wall back soon, so I'm excited about that. But speaking of your teams also, you've got Jake Arrieta making his first start uh, in spring training for the Phillies today. So a big day uh, for you, just on all fronts. I wish um, I had MLB TV. Yeah, that would, be, <laughs> that would be the best. But, all right, we're going to go ahead and jump in. And obviously, the big thing everyone is talking about right now is the Sweet 16 uh, games kick off today um, with in the south and west regions of the bracket. We've got Kansas and Kansas State, uh, or sorry, Kentucky and Kansas State, uh, Loyola Chicago and Nevada. We got a few other teams in, where'd they go? Gonzaga, Florida State, and Michigan and Texas A&M. So Kevin, we'll go ahead and do lock to move on and biggest upset. What are you going with here? Just for today's games? Just for today's games. Oh, man. I You know, I got to go with the lock with Kentucky. Um, do they play today? They do play today. Okay. So I'm going to go with Kentucky. Um, you know, I think their matchup with Kansas State is probably the most appealing. Uh, you know, the other matchup I would look at is the Gonzaga game, who I actually picked for my Eliminator Challenge. Uh, but I have a lot of faith in the Wildcats to beat the other Wildcats. I think uh, it's going to be a great game. Um, you know, Shea, Gilgis, Alexander, and Kevin Knox have been terrific throughout the tournament. Um, Gilgis Alexander is averaging 21.8 points, 6 assists, 5.8 rebounds, and 2.2 steals. I mean, awesome. I mean, those stats in the, in the postseason, especially in March Madness on a big stage, where you really need your guards to play well, you know, I think they match up well with Kansas State, and I think this is the end of the K-State uh, glory run as a 9 seed. So, Kentucky, moving on to the Elite Eight, they're my lock for today. I have to go with Michigan, who is absolutely rolling after winning the conference tournament, um, and now moving forward with one of the hottest. Just they're just one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Um, you know, having beaten Michigan State in that tournament was huge, and it really set the standard as them. Uh, you know, as a contender. Now Texas A and M is coming off a complete thrashing of UNC, and I think you know that does go to show uh, that this is a team to be reckoned with. However, with the defense that Michigan has had all year, eighth in the country, allowing just 63 uh, points per game, still with the strength of schedule in the top 40 of the country, um, and the way Moritz Wagner's playing right now, I just can't bet against them. I think this is a team that can really make a deep run. I wasn't really a believer going into the tournament, um, but after watching them play against Houston, um, and of course that buzzer beater at the end, I mean, the way that resilience of this team, uh, they are rolling right now. They're, they've got you know the momentum at an all-time high. And I can't pick against the Wolverines. Now, who is your upset uh, here? Who is your lock to lose? Lock to lose. 
well, that not to go off what you're saying, but it would kind of be the same as your lock for a win because you're saying they're a lock for a win, so the other team's obviously going to be lock for a lose. But uh, I'm I'm going to you know go a little differently. I think Nevada is locked to lose. I think Loyola Chicago is one of the best teams in the country. Um, you know the way they've been playing lately. I mean they've only lost um, they've won 30 games this year, and that, that's incredible in itself. Um, you know, they usually get overshadowed in their conference because they used to have Wichita State in their conference. Uh, Wichita State moved the American and Loyola Chicago. Now we're blessed with their appearance in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, they got the magic with what's her name? I don't know. The old lady. Um, oh, oh, the, the um, I don't remember her name, but I don't know. But she's a god and she's going to help this team win. <laughs> the nun. Uh, I, I like Loyola Chicago. They, you know, they got the first game of the night. Um, it's going to be a great game. I mean, it's basically the matchup of the Cinderella, who's going to move on. Uh, Nevada and Loyola Chicago are both, you know, great stories. Um, but I just wanted to go back to your point about Michigan. I actually think that's going to be the closest game of the day. Uh, Texas A&M's been great uh, throughout the tournament. Tyler Davis, um, you know, the 6'10", 266-pound junior um, from Texas, 14 points and 15 rebounds against Providence in the first round. 18 points and nine rebounds and three blocks um, in the second round against UNC. You know, he's averaging 33 minutes a game. I, I really like what I've seen out of him um, outside of the free throws. I mean, he's six for uh, 15 from the free throw line. Uh, but from the field, he's 13 for 19, very efficient. Uh, look for Tyler Davis uh, to make a huge impact in tonight's Michigan Texas A&M game. My team has got to be Kansas State. Uh, Kentucky was one of the most underseeded teams in the conference coming in at number five. Um, and with UVA losing uh, in that corner of the bracket, the South, I really don't think that anyone stands a chance of beating them. Loyola Chicago maybe uh, in the next round, but I, I don't see them matching up with Kentucky and Calipari's just, you know, his resilience in, over the years has been incredible. Um, but can't, going back to Kansas State, one of the, you know, bottom offenses in the country, only averaging 71 points per game. Um, their defensive rating is not great, you know, 93rd out of the 351 teams in the NCAA. So, you know, they certainly have a few players at the top who are really, you know, really good in, in Dean Wade, uh, Barry Brown, and Xavier Sneed, um, all averaging over 10 points a game. But I, I can't see this team topping Kentucky, a team that, um, you know, has a few seniors now, actually, for the first time in a while. Um, you know, we haven't really seen a lot of players stick through, but some of their rotation guys with them not getting as big a recruiting glass, they've had guys that have played under Calipari for a few years now. Um, and I think that can almost be more dangerous than maybe a one and done player. So, uh, I like what I've seen out of this team so far. And I think, I think they're going to be going pretty deep. Yeah. And it's also interesting because usually, you know, Kentucky gets those McDonald's all Americans. It happens every year. Um, Kevin Knox, uh, top five recruit last year, definitely. But it took this team a while to really develop their young players this year. I think in years past, uh, you know, those guys have shined right off the bat. But you see it with Gilgis Alexander and Kevin Knox. I mean, Kevin Knox had 25 points and uh, six rebounds in the first round win over Davidson. Uh, you know, only had eight points in the second game. But you, you really see these guys come alive uh, later on. And I think it's a, you know, hats off to John Calipari and his job this year. I know, you know everyone's talking and writing about it right now. But Calipari, you know, this is probably his best coaching job um, I've ever seen him have. You know, take one of his most mediocre rosters, which, you know, still has a lot of McDonald's All-Americans. Um, but, you know, take them uh, you know, to the Sweet 16, and I think they're Final Four bound. So, you know, what a job by him. I know people are going to scrutinize uh, the path they also took. 
Um, with UVA and Arizona losing, their path got extremely easy. But, you know, hats off to John Calipari and, you know, the job he's done uh, for this Kentucky team. I like their odds to go to the Final Four. And I misspoke. I said seniors. I meant juniors. Uh, Johnny David and Dylan Pulliam don't play very much, but uh, Calipari has come out and said how much of a good job they've done leading this team, even though they aren't necessarily the stars. So It's also, it's also I mean, juniors on Kentucky is like seniors on other teams. Exactly. I mean, sophomores are a rarity on their roster usually. I mean, the turnover is five or six freshmen every year. Uh, so it, it is interesting. That's a good point um, to bring up because, you know, I mean, might as well just call them seniors. I mean, exactly. Who the last three years at um, Kentucky, I mean, California just doesn't let it happen because he's, he gets the guys that are talented enough to go straight to the NBA. Now, on the other side of the bracket in the games that will be played tomorrow, as in Friday the 23rd, we have number one Villanova facing off of number five West Virginia, the game I'm most looking forward to. We have Texas Tech and Purdue, uh, Kansas and Clemson, Syracuse and Duke. Kevin, who is your lock to move on in tomorrow's games? And we'll get to who is your different game lock to lose. You know, I, I got to go with uh, Duke. The way you know the way they're playing right now, uh, unlike any other. I mean, in today's game, today's college basketball. I mean, a lot of teams have really good guards, really good forwards. This they have the best um, two four. They have the best four and five in the country with uh, Wendell Carter Jr. and uh, Marvin Bagley III. I mean, those two guys have been putting on a show in this tournament. Uh, I think you know they break the curse of you know, these, these top-seeded ACC teams losing early, and I think you know Duke could easily be a national championship team. I don't see them losing tomorrow. For me, I'm going to go stay in the Midwest, but go with Clemson over Kansas. I can't pick a lock uh, between Villanova and West Virginia. I think both teams are really, really good. West Virginia had some struggles, but has come out as one of the more prolific teams in the country. Texas Tech and Purdue is neck and neck. Purdue has been dealt with some injuries, but. Um, right now, they're still playing pretty, very well. Top Butler in a close one um, in the round of 32. But my pick is Clemson. Kansas is one of the most underwhelming number one seeds I've seen in a while. They barely squeaked past uh, Seton Hall by four points. Uh, meanwhile, Clemson absolutely thrashed Auburn 84-53. Uh, this is a very prolific offense and one that's been scoring in the mid to upper 70s all season. Um, and I, I said on the show before the tournament that you know when their shooters go cold, they're in trouble, but we've just been seeing them hot game after game, and it really goes to show that when this team is clicking on all cylinders, they're almost unbeatable. I mean, playing in the ACC, too, you know, having beaten teams like Tech uh, throughout the season, I think that this is a team that's battled. Clemson. Yeah. Clemson lost to Tech. Who'd they beat? Duke. They beat Duke, right? Clemson had, all right, so here's. Clemson had some big ACC wins. They also had a lot of bad ACC losses. Uh, you know, I, I respect the pick. You know, Clemson did. Um, show a lot against Auburn. You know, they did turn around. But this is a team coming into the uh, postseason that lost majority of their games down the stretch. Uh, they really fell apart. But, you know, they did you know, dismantle um, Auburn in, in the uh, round of 32. So, you know, they are a hot team. I just think this Kansas team is out to, you know, prove everyone wrong all season. You know, er earlier in the year, everyone was picking against Kansas to win the Big 12 in, in the regular season. You know, that's something they've done, I believe, 17 straight times. What do they do? They go out and win the Big 12 for the 17th straight time. Everyone doubting them in the tournament. They're going to get bounced early in the Big 12 tournament. They go out and win the whole thing. This Kansas team, you know, has is, is playing with a chip on their shoulder right now, and I don't see you know a mediocre ACC team like Clemson uh, beating them. Uh, but you know, we'll see. It, it should be a good game, but 
I just I haven't been a fan of Clemson. I also was not a fan of Auburn. So the fact that Clemson destroyed Auburn really didn't uh, you know, surprise me or um, make me you know jump on the Clemson bandwagon. So I understand your pick, but I ha- tend to disagree on that topic. My thing is they allow the 15th most three-pointers in the country per game, uh, and that is something that Clemson thrives on. So I think this is, you know, Devontae Graham is certainly one of the better players in the country, um, and I really like Malik Newman too. I think I've really liked what we've seen out of both of them uh, in this tournament. I just can't see their defensive weaknesses, you know, not being exploited by a team that literally plays behind the arc the entire game. So what do you think? So the the Duke-Syracuse game is probably going to be the best game tomorrow. Yeah, I'm excited. The way Syracuse's defense is playing, uh, it's going to be really difficult for Duke to score. Do you think... You know, after watching last week, after watching Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges really struggle against a Syracuse um, zone, do you think this is going to slow down um, Wendell Carter and uh, and Marvin Bagley? And Marvin Bagley. I mean, inside. I mean, last week, like I said, Michigan State was slowed down. Probably the worst offensive performance of the season. Do you think Duke gets slowed down, or do you think they, you know, they know they know the film. They play in the ACC. I think I think Duke has. I will have to look here at how UVA stopped Duke, and UVA was a more perimeter defense. Tried to force it inside, um, and then kind of zoned out um, Bagley. Bagley still had a decent game uh, against UVA, but was still you know contained to where he wasn't able to take over. And I think that's really what Syracuse is going to try to do. But the thing is, they're going to go opposite. They're going to try and contain Bagley, maintain that inner zone, and push the ball outside and make Duke shoot. That's where I'm not so sure things are going to work out for them because Duke is a great shooting team, one of the better offensive teams in the entire country, coached by one of the greatest offensive minds in the country. I really just don't think that, you know, Syracuse, one, they get into a ton of foul trouble. It wasn't just that game against Michigan State. They have, you know, they only really play six to seven players, which is kind of common in college basketball. Um, But especially, you know, even when Frank Howard's starting point guard fouled out, they still only went to one other guy the rest of the game. They weren't, you know, subbing anyone in and out. Um, and they were dealing with foul trouble with three different players throughout the whole second half. So I think that, you know, fouls are going to be important, and Duke's three-point shooting percentage is going to be the biggest thing. Yeah, so Syracuse, for for people that are listening that don't really know a lot about their defense, they play a pack line defense. So they got three guys in the back under the bat, or in line with the basket, and two guys up top. Um, You know, the way to exploit it is really to hit the middle at the foul line um, and work through the middle, I think. Coach K knows how to beat this. He, you know, he's going to put um, Marvin Bagley right there in the middle. He, got, he has the ability to shoot from mid-range, um, and he, he's a good passer. So you, know, you put him in the middle. You surround him. You surround him by guy. You surround him with guys like O'Connell and uh, Grayson Allen, and I think they're going to get exploited. Uh, maybe not inside. I think it's like you said, going to be more of a three-point game. Uh, but I don't think you know if, if Duke gets on a run. Syracuse doesn't have the firepower. They're one of the worst offensive teams in the country. It's going to be a very interesting matchup. I just wanted to get your two cents on it. Villanova, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Purdue. Who loses? I really like Villanova. I think the best team left in the tournament. Uh, I think Duke's probably number two. I think Villanova, you know, with their guard play, is going to be able to expose that West Virginia uh, press. Uh, Jalen Brunson, I mean, if he doesn't win the Wooden Award, I don't know who else will. Uh, he's been terrific. Uh, national champions and freshman, so he's got the experience. And 
the Purdue-Texas Tech game is going to be extremely close. You know, if Isaac Haas was playing, I would say I would favor Purdue. But after watching them play last week, uh, you know, whoever they put down there, I mean, they basically put Isaac Haas' twin down there, but he wasn't the same um, talent-wise. And Texas Tech, a team all year that really wanted to win the Big 12, never really got there. They were always right around first place, but just never got over the hump. But Keenan Evans, one of the best players in the country, you know that's gonna be a really close game. I, I, I would, I think I'm gonna go with the, you know, the bold pick with Texas Tech on that one. Um, but of course, you know, if I think Villanova's the best team in the country, I'm gonna go with them over West Virginia. What about you? Um, I mean, Texas Tech has played SF Austin and Florida. Florida, I thought was a bit overrated this year. I haven't, as far as the tournament goes, I just haven't seen them. You know, do you see engineering students at Purdue are trying to create a brace for Isaac Hawes that will at least be cleared by the NCAA to allow him to play? Yeah, I saw that. I, you know, I wonder how long a project of that caliber would take an uh, engineering group. Uh, I'm sure it would take longer than two weeks, which you know would really, wouldn't really help them. But, you know, he's a big loss. Um, you know, a lot of journalists were tweeting out that, uh, you know, even with the brace on during warm-ups, he was trying to shoot around, wincing in pain. So even if he was out on the floor, I don't know how much help he could give Purdue. But, you know, definitely a huge loss and makes this Texas Tech game uh, a lot more interesting. Yep. That's going to wrap up our Sweet 16 preview. Um, We'll be back on Monday to talk about some games that have happened, looking at the Elite Eight. um, Or we just had this. No, this is Sweet 16. So look at the Elite Eight. um, And, you know, we'll be talking lots of college basketball, so don't you worry. More content is to come. We're going to go ahead and move over to the NFL, where Ndamukong Sue has narrowed down his list to the Saints, Rams, and Titans uh, in terms of where he will be signing. He is a all-pro defensive tackle, uh, among the best pass rushers in the country, but has had some issues in locker rooms, uh, You know, was cut by the Dolphins for similar reasons. Uh, they just didn't see his contract being worth it. Kevin, would you sign him to a major deal, and you know, how much money would you be willing to give him per year? You know, at this point, he's still a very dominant uh, player. I mean, he led uh, the Dolphins in snaps last year on the defensive side of the ball. Um, So he's still forced to be reckoned with. The sack numbers aren't there, uh, but I think that goes along with schemes a little bit more. Now, the problem with signing him to a huge deal is, you know, you see it with the Dolphins, is the culture issue. I mean, he's not a great locker room guy. He's gotten suspended multiple times, gets fined all the time. Uh, for his antics on the field, you know, while he's still very effective, I wouldn't sign him to a long-term deal um, worth a lot of money annually because you know the cap space in the NFL is so uh, minimal. I mean, you don't want a guy of his, you know, a guy with his amount of risk taking up that much of the cap room. So, you know, I'm out on on Sue, but you know, I'm sure there's a team out there that'll give him a pretty good deal. Yeah, I mean, last year's numbers were a bit down. You know, the sack total was 4.5, which he only had five the year before and six the year before that. But I look at his tackles. He only had 29 tackles last year um, after 41 and 38 and 46 the three previous seasons. Um, And he's he's 31 years old now. So, you know, on the wrong side of 30 um, moving forward, I just don't know if, you know, you can trust the production maybe for a long-term deal. I mean, I think he's only going to get a three- four-year deal at most anyway, um, but I, I think he'd be worth the money. You know, you, you talk about the, the negative locker room culture. This is still a guy that has played 16 games every year since 2012 um, and then played 
uh, 14 games in 2011 and 16 again in 2010. So he's only missed two games his entire career um, and has started all 126 of them. Uh, and is, you know, a really good presence on the, uh, the D-line, at least right now. I mean, maybe we don't trust his production three years down the road. But as far as the player is right now, I mean, with guaranteed money, you know, you could afford to cut him two years into the deal anyway. Um, it would certainly hurt your cap space. But, you know, a lot of teams would be able to swallow that. And I think, you know, I would I would give him the money and see how it goes because sometimes you can attribute locker room issues to the team that they're on. And, you know, the Dolphins had a lot of problems prior, you know, with the Jonathan Martin, Richie Young Incognito situation. Um, they've just kind of had, uh, you know, not really great locker room presence. I mean, who really is the leader in that locker room? Jarvis Landry, uh, when he was traded, you know, was, was going on Twitter about how, you know, they were trying to clean house of some of the negative presences. And he was like, you know, there's more negative presences than what you think. Um, I am or whatever. Uh, so there's clearly some issues there. So I wouldn't attribute it all to Sue. Um, but, you know, there were still issues in Detroit when he was with the Lions. And I don't know if, you know, it, it might be following him. It might not be. But I wouldn't, you know, put too much stock into that because it all comes down to, you know, are you a team that's winning? Because if you're a good team, a lot of your issues aren't there just because winning cures all. Um, but, you know, he's right now one of the better defensive tackles, probably top five DT in the NFL, uh, and he, I think he's certainly worth the money. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, you know, with a lot of these deals and a lot of players in all the professional sports, there's always a team out there that's willing to make the move, um, spend the extra you know, dollar to get a certain guy. So we'll see. Um, I still think he's a very effective player. He can still, you know, with the effort, um, you know, clean up his act a little bit and be a, still be a lead pass rusher, um, a, a stakeholder in the middle of the, uh, of the defense. But we'll, we'll see. I... I've never been a fan of him, you know, ever since um, college when he stepped on uh, a player's leg, um, which was garbage. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. We'll see. But just imagine him playing across from Aaron Donald uh, for the Rams defensive line. I mean, that would just be so scary with Robert Quinn behind him, um, you know, Aqib Tlaib in that secondary. That Rams defensive team, you put Sue in there. That's a very complete defense, uh, and honestly, I think would rival the Vikings right now. In well, terms actually, of best defensive fun football. fact, Robert Quinn got traded to the Miami Dolphins. That's right. But, yes, that would be scary. Him and Aaron Donald on the same uh, defense. And Connor Aaron Barwin's still a very good uh, linebacker to fill in for Quinn, so I don't really foresee. I mean, obviously, Quinn is a huge presence, and losing him is key. Also, um, something interesting, uh, we talked about how uh, Barstool likes to break news. They actually did break news right now. Uh, Chris Long has re-signed with the Philadelphia Eagles per Pardon My Takes Twitter account um, now. Chris Long's a big fan of uh, Pardon My Takes. He's a reoccurring guest on the show. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, definitely a guy that uh, they're a huge fan of. Also funny on their ep- uh, episode, if you, any of our listeners listen to that podcast, I recommend it. Um, you know, We're a big Pardon My Take podcast here. So uh, they uh, had Danny Woodhead on because he re- decided to retire. Um, you know the name of their van is Vanny Woodhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually offered him the van as his retirement gift, and they were like, "Yeah, it's got like eight tickets on it. You can pay them all and all this stuff." It was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, Danny Woodhead said he was about to tell Barstool to break the news that he's retiring, but then he decided he probably shouldn't. So, um, just wanted to throw that out there. I know you listeners probably don't care, but um, <laughs> you know, let's talk about Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb signing with. The Baltimore Orioles on a three-year, $60 million deal. We just transitioned to baseball, by the way, in case you didn't notice. 
uh, sorry, four-year deal, um, around $60 million. Cobb was the last big free agent pitcher left on the market um, after Jake Arrieta signed with the Phillies and Hugh Darvish signed with the Cubs. Um, he was kind of left, uh, and of course, Lance Lynn um, signing a one-year deal. Uh, where did he go? Lance Lynn went to another team, that, the Twins, uh, who had a very sneaky good offseason. Um, but Cobb was kind of that last man standing. Um, in terms of pitchers, uh, there's still some good uh, relievers out on the market still. I mean, Greg Holland has yet to find a home. Um, but this is, you know, the last free agent pitcher. Um, spent his entire career with the Rays. Uh, missed 2013 and, or sorry, 2015 with Tommy John surgery. But last year had a 3.66 ERA and 179 innings. Started 29 games, went 12 and 10, um, and had a strikeout ratio of 6.4. So not a prolific strikeout guy, um, but certainly had one of his better years probably since 2014. I mean, back in 2014 to 2013, he was actually one of the better pitchers in the American League. Um, wasn't getting a lot of recognition for it simply because he didn't have a ton of innings, but this past year kind of brought himself back up to that level. Um, and only being 30 years old right now, you know, the, they're, the Orioles are going to get him for the tail end of his prime. So I think, honestly, this makes him probably the best pitcher on Baltimore's rotation right now. Um, it's a team that has struggled with starting pitching in recent years. That's been no secret. Um, and coming off a last place finish in the American League East, trying to still somehow contend uh, with the team that they have. Kevin, do you think the Alex Cobb signing pushes the needle in any way in terms of the AL East? No, I don't think it uh, it is. I mean, uh, I was talking to uh, our pure sports NFL editor, Connor McCarthy, the other day about this deal. Um, you know, moving forward, the Orioles are, you know, a team every year that they could either win 85 games or 65 games. Um, and, uh, and, you know, over the last couple of years, it's been more closer to 85. Um, you know, I, I don't see this year being as lucky. I think, you know, they're closer to a 65-win team. Uh, they got a pretty good lineup. The rotation, you know, even with Alex Cobb in there, you know, it's still concerning. Um, even with a 3.66 ERA last year, 12-10 uh, and 10 record. I mean, I still don't think this Orioles team is a you know, playoff caliber team in a very busy American League. Um, so, no, I, you know, I don't think this pushes the needle at all. It adds depth to a rotation that needed some depth, but it just doesn't. It doesn't make this Orioles team, um, you know, a contender yet. I mean, I definitely think that I have to respect that the Orioles are still trying to go for it with the squad that they have. I mean, they they put a lot of money into Chris Davis um, and Adam Jones, and so they're having to you know deal with that. Um, but you know, signed Andrew Kashner earlier this offseason uh, to kind of you know add someone to the end. They've got Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gausman. Coming back, Chris Tillman resigned on a one-year deal, um, so that kind of gives them at least five major league pitchers. I mean, for a while it looked like they were going to have three guys and then two, you know, fill-ins from the minor leagues. So at least they were able to fill out uh, the rotation. I think Alex Cobb um, is one of the better pitchers available, and so for him to, you know, kind of anchor this rotation, it's going to be very good. Uh, I think for Baltimore, I think the biggest things here are Mark Trumbo is going to be out until middle of April. Um, he has a hamstring strain or a quad strain. Um, and, of course, Zach Britton, who's ruptured his Achilles and is go probably not going to be back for at least two months um, into the year. Uh, so their bullpen, which has been pretty good in recent years, um, is going to have to kind of pick up the slack. Of Brad Brash and Darren O'Day um, are the two big names there, and they're certainly you know, probably going to let both of them try and close and see who turns out to be better going into the season. Um, but with how stacked the American League East is right now, I mean, I think every division has at least one team that, you know, is a bona fide playoff caliber team that you think, all right, they're going somewhere. They at least has two. 
they, you know, the Red Sox, Yankees, I don't think any team, two teams in one division can match the cal- playoff caliber rosters that they have. Um, so it's going to be a tough road for Baltimore to make the playoffs. Um, but the rotation, you know, they're betting on a lot of guys, you know, some younger guys in Gausman and Bundy taking a step forward. Chris Tillman, Andrew Kashner kind of rebounding. And then Alex Cobb is supposed to be that anchor, the rock, the guy who's dependable, you know, coming off a good year, going to be good this year, hopefully. So, and he's also used to American League East pitching, having been with the Rays, um, you know, having to pitch in Baltimore, having to pitch in New York, um, deal with the Green Monster in Fenway. So um, at least, you know, he has that experience. And uh, I think that, you know, there's some room here with the Rays. Definitely going to be taking a step back this year. They're going in a full rebuild. I'm not expecting them to really be in contention. Blue Jays are kind of like the Orioles at this point. They're still going for it, but they haven't made any big signings, so I'm not sure if I really trust them. So, you know, you can get some easy division wins there um, and, 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 you know, maybe move up the standings. I think the Orioles right now are the third best team in the American League East. Uh, and so, you know, that gets them into the conversation. I just don't think it pushes the needle enough to really make them, you know, a threat necessarily um, until later in the year. Maybe, you know, we see Chris Davis really have a breakout year. Adam Jones kind of reverts to, you know, the, his old form. Trey Mancini takes a step forward. Manny Machado doesn't have a first half slump. Tim Beckham was a very good signing last year. Um, he's going to anchor down third base. Jonathan Scope is a very underrated second baseman. I mean, they've got, you know, talent up and down this roster. Uh, it's just really, you know, they're not all playing well at the same time. You've got some players past their prime, some players who maybe are too young to have reached their potential yet. So if we can have some of the veterans playing back to how they used to and some of the younger guys taking a step forward, we could actually have a very good team in for us, you know. And then with Zach Britton coming back midseason, you know, he'll have less innings on him by the playoffs. That could bode well. Um, so as long as they don't have serious injuries to the rotation, that's going to be, I think, the major key here is if they're having to go into their rotation depth, they're going to be in huge trouble, especially if anyone gets Tommy Johns out for the year. I mean, you know, the next guys up uh, are, are no-name guys, uh, Yanoa, uh, Castro, Cortez, Wright. I mean, none of these guys really have impressed at the major league level, and some of them haven't really impressed in the minor league level. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to kind of wait and see with this team. I think this is, you know, an MLB team, which is more than a couple of teams, kind of like the Rays and the Marlins, can really say that they're feeling right now. Um, but with all the money that's being thrown around, the Orioles have kind of strapped themselves in an uncomfortable situation, having to bet on Trumbo and Davis to really, you know, be the guys in the lineup. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see to see if they can still be those guys. Yeah, I, I mean, there's for me, there's just too many variables in the whole situation, um, too many risks. I, I don't think they can all work out, especially with how they've worked out in, in past years. So um, I guess we'll have to see. Yep, well, that is going to wrap up our show today. Unfortunately, we have to cut it short um, on a shorter episode, but we will be back on Monday um, to talk about the games of the weekend. We'll have some NBA talk, too. Certainly, there's going to be something that goes on that we'll be able to address. So don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at PureSportsNet. Check out our website at PureSportsNetwork.com. And like us on Facebook at PureSportsNetwork. I'm Matt Wyrick. This is Kevin Haswell signing off. Kevin, any final words for the good people? Trust the process. Every week. And go Nats. Thank you all so much for listening and have a good one.